This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I have a, a slide that says, My Data, My Answers, answers the question of what does it mean to me. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the history of grassroots health and how it got started and what tack it has taken in order to get the message out, because to me that's what we're here about today is how do we speed this up and do more or better or faster or whatever. In 2007, I attended a conference not terribly unlike what you've attended today where there was tremendous new information to me about the benefits of vitamin D, and the close of that conference was more research is needed. And it it blew me away because I was still barely recovering from cancer and saw the potential uh, for tremendous prevention possibilities. It didn't even have to be a guarantee for me. I saw the possibility. And what was really interesting is I asked the group, and there were uh, quite a number of people there, a couple of hundred scientists, I think, as I recall, And um, I asked them, where is your sense of urgency? And I sat down. I I, I couldn't say anything else. My heart was beating and all that sort of stuff. At any rate, the conference was over. I mean, it was over within a couple of sentences of my statement. And I then had the most phenomenal experience of my life. Well, almost. Having children probably kind of rates above that. I'm not sure. Close to a hundred of the scientists over the next hour or so came up to me and said, what can we do to help? And I said, I don't know. And the reason I didn't know was because I obviously didn't know enough, but I said, I don't know what the message is. I am an outreach person. I am a salesperson. I am an IT person. I'm lots of things, but I can't take a message out when I don't know what it is yet. So my husband and I then literally spent the next six months driving across the country, meeting with quite a number of beautiful researchers, including the ones that you met today, they have been long-term friends, to say, what's the message? Because I knew already that if I'm going to take a message out to the populace, I need to have the credibility, as it were, of the scientists who are promoting this. I did not have that background, nor do I still. Uh, So where could I go get it? So we went to talk with them. And after, as we were going on our tour, as you have heard, or even today, which is how much should I take? Or how much should we recommend? It became clear that was a no-win. The reason it's a no-win is because you don't know. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But it was clear that every single one of them would agree, even then, to this kind of physiological serum level range of 40 to 60. Flat out, all right? So we created a simple little document that says, here's what the scientists recommend, 40 to 60, and I went to town. And it has been beautiful ever since. By having a serum range at this point in time, It totally takes away the issue of how much, which you can't really tell at this point in time. It takes away the issue of 
hey, we could get rid of the testing if everybody took 10,000 a day, which nobody's ready to do. I mean, the higher-ups aren't ready to allow that to happen. Um, and it allows us to focus on measurement as part of the solution. All right? Measure it. Find out. Then you make a decision. We then quickly went into, okay, um, who do we take this message to? And we spent two years bouncing around between different groups. One group certainly were medical doctors. Another group were um, industrial people. We went to lots of people. And what we discovered, and I toured around the country at the same time, giving lectures and stuff, and what we discovered very quickly was that the people who cared were the individuals. Cared in terms of enough to take action. We had, and I will never forget it, a room full, not quite this big, but let's say it's two-thirds this side, full of people in Syracuse, New York, at a presentation, which I did one time. And what was the major thing when I told them about vitamin D and how good it was and what the serum level needed to be? My doctor won't order a test. I mean, they were shouting, literally. What I saw then is, oh my gosh, back again to this early adopter phase, which you all know about, all right? That's where it was in 2009, and that's where it still is today. We're not out of it. On the other hand, it's gotten bigger. We have more and more and more people that I put in the category of consumers. They're not scientists. I'm not using the word consumer like buy, but I couldn't find a better word, right? But there's a bigger and bigger and bigger group of people who are concerned about their own health and ready to take action. Furthermore, they are providing us, the Grassroots Health and our research team, with questions each and every day that they want answers to. Well, folks, how do you expand a movement but by getting lots of people involved the way they want to be involved and expanding it that way? So that is the tack at this point in time that we have chosen to push. And I want to tell you a little bit about it and show you a few things. So I, we really are going to start using that consumer-driven um, health research model, and the consumer-driven um, is not designed, all right? It gets, the way we do things is really designed by the scientists and their input and stuff on it. Um, but the consumers that we work with, the health population, are the ones that are saying, this is what I want to know for my health, and we can expand on that. One of the top questions is always, how much D do I take? And as you can see from this chart, that thing that points down there, that population group is taking 4,000 IU a day, and the serum level ranges from about 20 to 120. That chart shows every single person who enrolls in our project why we can't answer how much. I don't know. I really don't know. On the other hand, of course, we can give you an estimate of what it takes to get along that blue line, and that's fine, and we do do that. But in general, we're calling for the individuals at this point in time to test and find out where they are. How long do I stay in the sun to achieve this serum level? Well, I don't know that either, but I can tell you what has happened in our cohort. If you're zero minutes in the sun, 
The average serum level was 28 nanograms per ml. So where they're getting it, I don't know, but regardless, it's not from the sun, or at least as reported. And you see up to about 30 minutes, which is that midpoint, the 37, it goes up steadily a little bit at a time. And then after that, it really doesn't go up much more. So what am I supposed to take from this? What I'm supposed to take from this, I would take from this is, huh, well, if I want to maximize my sun exposure, it's somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes, but I don't really need to be out there two hours. This, to me, is very significant stuff, and a lot of our group focuses on that, too. Can it prevent flu and colds? Do I need to take a flu shot? We can't answer, we don't answer that kind of question. What we do say is here's what it says in our cohort, and we can actually provide a plotted point back with a little X on it saying here's where you are in terms of a serum level so they can see exactly. Based on our data, there was a 16% reduction in colds, the incidence of colds, by going from less than 20 to more than 40. And there was a 50% reduction in the incidence of flu. So message, again, it's up to the interpretation of the individual looking at it, but it's like, well, I better go do this if I don't want to take a flu shot. Or maybe it's better than a flu shot for all I know. But at any rate, it's very significant. Might it prevent breast cancer? We are currently running a breast cancer prevention project, which we started a few years ago, two or three, I think. And what we have to date looks like this. The median of the group that we have enrolled, there are women 60 who did not have cancer at the time of enrollment. Um, and since that time, what we have is a median of 50. As I noted, there were four cases, looks like, below 50 and one above. And simply, if you got above 60, there would be zero cases. But from the median, there were 80% fewer with 50 nanograms per ml. Now, whether that holds up as we get more and more time into this project, I don't know. We're about two years from having enough statistical power in it um, to go forward. But it is promising. Does vitamin D cause kidney stones? Kidney stones and vitamin D causing kidney stones, higher levels of vitamin D causing kidney stones, has been a bugaboo ever since we started. And again, from our data, and this is a published paper, um, we had eight cases in our cohort below 50 nanograms per ml and five above. And certainly fewer as the serum levels went up and up and up. So there definitely was not a trend to having more kidney stones because the serum level went up higher. In what's the impact on diabetes, paper yet to be published, but it's on its way. There was a 50% reduction with a serum level of 41 nanograms per ml versus 22. Now the 22 isn't from our study. We have used the NHANES data a fair amount to compare uh, against what we are doing because we aren't running a control study and we don't have anybody, certainly not a big enough group below 20. Um, our intervention, as it were, with all of our cohort is education and that education is about that 40 to 60 is what you can be aiming at. It tells them a little bit about what um, potential toxicity levels might be and what they need to look for. Uh, and a lot of other vitamin D information as well as vitamin D testing. So those are the two things that are provided to them. Um, and so we have shown this. 
How can it help my pain? Well, again, the higher the serum level, it kept going down uh, even when it got up to above 80 nanograms per ml. Now, one of the things that interested me a lot in hearing uh, somebody at the NIH conference last week commented that, well, my patients come to me mostly with pain and they say they want vitamin D because they've heard and he, the gentleman speaking, said there's no data. And all I did in my mind was just kind of smile and say, depends on where you're looking for your data. Um, within our process, the thing that I hear about, that we hear about most and fastest, within weeks of people enrolling in the study, they send us an email, they call, they say, my pain is gone. For the first time in years, we have had quite a number of people who have said they have had fibromyalgia, and they say it's either better or gone. Right? So something's going on with pain. We do not do the biological research, but we can tell you something is reportedly going on and it is of great significance. Does it matter which type of supplement I take? We get a lot of questions about that. And by which type? Uh, in this case, it's whether they're taking a gel cap or a pill, a liquid or a powder. And if you take a quick look there, um, no matter which you're taking, whatever color it is, the serum levels at a given dosage are pretty much the same. They are statistically the same. So this is good news. This is good news for the manufacturers. It's good news for the people saying, hey, if I like gel caps better than I like liquid, that's fine. If I like liquid better, fine. They all work. Where are the participants in grassroots health? Well, as you can see, we are heavily into the United States and north and then down South America, Australia, but you can see some other little lines over there. We have a not insignificant cohort in Japan. Um, and yet, of course, you see some very white, white, white areas as well. Um, the project is totally international. People, anybody in the world, anywhere in the world can enroll. And the process of enrollment is really finding us on the internet to start with, filling in a health questionnaire and doing a vitamin D test each six months. The other part of what we accomplished, which I think is just absolutely incredible, is we had no money. Where are we going to get money? We looked at all the grant-making things, and we said, my gosh, that's going to take us years to go get a grant. So I said, okay, fine, everybody pay for themselves. Guess what? They did, right? All those people in that room at Syracuse said, of course I'll pay for it. Well, they continue to pay for it. So we have a very large cohort of people that are willing um, to pay for their participation by paying for the test. They value the data. They value the information, not the test. The test is important, but it's not the data. So the method itself, as I mentioned, is Internet-based, what the intervention is. They capture the health information. It's much beyond vitamin D. We capture certainly the standard demographics to many behaviors. How much do you exercise? When do you exercise? What type of exercise? What kind of sun exposure do you do? And many, many different health outcomes. And the feedback to them is always certainly answers as a customer service thing, but my data, my answers is a very key part of the process back to them. We do publish in peer-reviewed journals, and we've had some excellent publications. 
Big success is to me enrollment. To have eight to 10,000 people enrolled in something is pretty significant. And then significant in a very different way is the average serum level is well above 40 nanograms per milliliter. So we have achieved the health benefits to some extent that we wanted to, which is like, get the serum level up, all right? And yes, we took a willing population, but what's wrong with that? They were ready to move. They needed help, but they were ready. The other major thing in terms of success is our videos that we have had of the scientists themselves giving talks, sometimes short, sometimes long. We have one on disease prevention, generically, that's had more than 250,000 views. It is reaching out. This is really important. The same thing, similar numbers on cancer prevention. This is how many people watch video things that we put out on the thing. To come that we are working on right now, everything that you heard today is going to be incorporated into some online CME courses, so medical personnel that want CMEs on a particular topic or whatever, again, all over the world or however their CME process works can do it. Targeted community projects, again, instead of the everything, we are focusing in now on a couple of key areas which allow us to say, hey, let's go into this community and make a big difference so they can see it makes a difference here. We are starting, and I will tell you more about this tomorrow, this coming Monday, I'm going to be a plane on Sunday, all the way to Charleston, where we will be starting a Protect Our Children Now campaign to enroll 500 pregnant women in that surround to get vitamin D levels up to at least 40 nanograms per ml during their pregnancy and to demonstrate what the health outcomes are, especially... And to Carol Wagner. Uh, once this gets rolling, to me, it is the beginning of a whole new phase of, of everything, in part because it is sponsored and endorsed by a health insurance company. Can you imagine? I mean, what matters more right now? So that's there. The other thing that's also very significant to us is having an open access database for researchers. There is no reason that all the vitamin D research and researchers have to duplicate things that we've already done and or why not use what we already have to add to so forth and so on and we will be ready to roll with that early next year. So, let's take action. I like that one. Success. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.